Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjo Gall. Hello and uh, welcome listeners. Uh, the topic for discussion is, will IoT improve healthcare? And uh, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter uh, using these hashtags, uh, hashtag healthcare, hashtag IoT, and hashtag health IT. And our guest for today's show is uh, Dr. John Showalter, who's the Chief Health Information Officer with the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Hi, John. How are you? I'm Good, Sanjo. Thank you for having me on the show today. Oh, beautiful. And I know it's just a little windy out there, but we still will have fun, right? Yeah, we'll have a good time. Great, great. So, so talking about healthcare, and of course, uh, you know, we are looking at this IoT mega trend where it's touching all different industries. When it comes to healthcare, what is so special? Why? What's so compelling that we can say yes if we were to invest in it? Where already there's so much transformation going on in healthcare, this is going to further take us to the next level. So, the, you know, the. the the promise of IoT is really about getting healthcare out of the clinic and healthcare out of the hospital and the ED and getting healthcare into the home. You know, the Internet of Things and the ability for sensors to talk to machines and machines to analyze the data really changes the paradigm from healthcare just occurring between a nurse and a patient or a physician and a patient in a healthcare setting and brings it to their home and allows us to really figure out what's going on with their health and move more towards wellness and health than just acute care. All right. So so when it comes to your ability to, um, you know, work with multiple uh, organizations in your ecosystem, so one is, would you say IoT is very internal to a, an, a, an organization when it comes to healthcare or does it really... Uh, show its real value when you connect across ecosystem or across value chain partners? Yeah, I think it shows its greatest potential when it's focused on the patient. And the patient's clearly cut across payer and delivery systems and health systems uh, and interact with healthcare in a variety of ways. And when we keep the patient at the center of it, I think we begin to actually recognize the potential. UMMC's Center for Telehealth has actually done um, some pilots and is beginning to work with insurance companies doing home monitoring where we have blood pressure cuffs in the home, uh, glucometers for measuring blood glucose levels for diabetics in the homes, and those automatically send signals back to a system that is curating the data and analyzing it and throwing alerts up to nurses so that if the glucose is out of control two times in a row, uh, an alert comes to the nurse, the nurse uh, can call or, or ping in through a mobile device and say, let's do a visu- video chat about what's going on with your your blood glucose and get it under control. And our uh, initial pilots with that have shown a marked reduction in the use of emergency departments, use of hospitals, uh, and uh, when extrapolated to the state are showing you know multi-million dollar cost savings for the insurance company while making the uh, patient more healthy, where it becomes, you know, problematic is the payment system of healthcare. So the the health system doesn't necessarily benefit financially by keeping patients out of the hospital. Uh, so they have to work on payment models with the insurance companies, where the insurance company saves money, the patient's healthier, and the health system still, you know, maintains enough margin to stay open. 
Okay. So, um, so when you talk about uh, the issues related to our, um, you know, the, the, the health devices connecting to mobile phones, etc., or, or is that's the innovation that you're referring to, would you say that innovation essentially is already there or was already there? What, what new did you do? Because we are sure that health devices were made a little intelligent. They were supposed to transmit some data maybe uh, to other uh, connected devices, but maybe not to a mobile phone. So is that extension is what you're calling as the value proposition of IoT? I, so the, to answer your question, we've actually had some form of this technology for you know, yeah, that's what I was time. I was referring to, yes. I, I, I remember in 2004, 2005, my grandfather had uh, had a heart attack. And it damaged his heart enough that it didn't squeeze well, so he got congestive heart failure. And he got sent home with a scale that he plugged into his telephone jack. And he stepped on his scale every day, and it measured his, uh, his weight, as well as asked him questions like, are you having trouble breathing? Do you have chest pain? And it had voice recognition and, you know, yes, no, and then it sent off to uh, a nurse and said, you know, your, your patient's gained three pounds and said he's having trouble breathing, and his phone would ring and they'd say, hey, let's talk about how you're feeling. So we've had that kind of technology for a while, and I think the innovation is we're actually beginning to use it and consider it widely as something that we should use in healthcare. Uh, you know, there's a lot of discussion about let's bring Uber to healthcare. I want to bring OnStar to healthcare. If you think about the technology behind OnStar, you know, there's a sensor in your bumper that's measuring how much pressure is on the bumper, and it's always measuring and always measuring. And then suddenly there's tons and tons of force on the sensor and then no force, and the sensor sends off its signal, and there's a register that there's a head-on collision. And at the same time, it's registering there's a head-on collision, and the airbags have gone off. It's scanning OnStar system for an available operator and dialing your car so that about the time you're beginning to recover from the airbag deploying, you're getting a, hey, Mr. Showalter, are you okay? Hey, Mr. Showalter, are you okay? Hey, you haven't answered. I'm going to dispatch an ambulance to you. That kind of technology intervention has existed outside of healthcare, but we don't have, you know, technology in place where people are walking around their homes, people are walking around their homes, and then suddenly they haven't moved for two hours, but they're not in their bedroom, or they're in their bathroom, and, you know, somebody contacting them and saying, hey, are you okay, or do I need to dispatch somebody to your house to check on you? When we start well, talking about that level of sensor to machine, machine to machine, machine to communication technology, we, we begin to change how we can impact patients' lives, how we can let people age in their homes, how we can keep people out of the hospital. Uh, and there hasn't just been that much focus on it. I think with the, you know, real talk from the internet of things starting two, three years ago, that conversation has picked up. But I don't think it's really that the technology is innovative. It's using it in the process of delivering care that's innovative. So um, within healthcare, like so, once the patient reaches a hospital or a clinic or or an um, emergency center, at that time, if you look at uh, the way healthcare has to be imparted, you've still seen that that's kind of that's an area which is covered, or would you think there's innovation there possible as well, or it is simply limited to the notification 
or proactive monitoring is what we're talking here? Well, I think proactive monitoring is where we need to get to. I'd actually say that once they get to the inside of the hospital, we've swung the pendulum the other way. We have so much monitoring going on without the, the application level, level the, the, the web of things, uh, looking at all of the data, that we're just overwhelming nurses and techs and physicians with data, and we're not giving them the knowledge that they need. We need to take that data and turn it into actual knowledge that's going to benefit the patients. Uh, we just did an assessment, and we are currently alarming 10 times a second in our hospital. So there are 100 alarms going off every minute in our hospital, and clearly that is too many for anyone to actually act on or keep up with. So we need to take the information that we're producing, because those alarms are even one level up from data, they're information, but they're not actual knowledge, and we still need to put better algorithms and better knowledge bases behind that information to reduce that to a level where we can actually intervene for the good of the patient. So when you just mentioned about these alarms going off, so would you say that IoT's own implementation may already be in place among the healthcare devices and that's why they're triggering each other's alarm? But then the, the IoT doesn't only mean thinking only at device level or the, at the data uh, generation level, but also at the analytics. Would you take that also under the IoT purview and s- to say that, okay, all devices in the hospital, whether starting from proactive monitoring to someone actually reaching a hospital, it's all that IoT umbrella under which the analytic is also embedded, and that's when you start looking at trivial triggers versus the ones which really are the ones we have to act upon. Yes, I mean, I think we're definitely in the sensor-to-machine realm in healthcare. Uh, so we've got lots of sensors deployed, lots of patients hooked up to heart monitors, blood pressure cuffs, uh, um, oxygen monitors for their breathing, and we've really focused on the sensor-to-machine, getting the physiologic data into an electronic format and put some thought around the analytics, but they're, they're really crude thoughts like, let me know when the heart rate is above 90, uh, or let me know when the heart rate's below 30. They're not deep algorithms that are based on knowledge bases. And, you know, there is some discussion about, you know, is is there a difference between the Internet of Things and the Web of Things where the web's the application layer, uh, but that that layer where we're doing machine-to-machine with algorithms and sorting and especially the, you know, machine-to-communication aspect uh, is where we're going to get our bang for the buck and, we're getting some innovation in there, uh, but there's still a lot of concern about secure messaging, privacy, uh, and, and how to do that level of communication and actually get people to act. Now, when you're looking at anyone who is coming in and you are trying to help them get better how is the business side of it looking at it? Is it, again, a better mousetrap, or would you say this is fundamentally changing in the way a patient's satisfaction goes up there? Uh, hopefully, a patient doesn't have to come back again, but the way they get healed, you get more referrals because you just are simply better at giving the overall experience. Where is it adding value thinking business? Yeah, so I think the disruptive force is the concept of delivering care in the patient's home or delivering the care where the patient is. And I see the Internet of Things as an enabler to that, not so much the the fundamental disruptor. But when we talk about what we're doing with home health, we're identifying patients that have had trouble controlling their diabetes, and we're sending them home with 
uh, a tablet device and biometric devices and a glucometer. So we're sending them home with the things to measure their blood pressure, measure their the sugar in their blood. And they're checking in with a counselor, uh, which is a nurse coach, you know, weekly. But the nurse coaches are also there to reach out when things aren't responding the way they're supposed to be, that their glucose isn't coming down the way that we thought it would, that their blood pressure is not coming down the way that they thought it would. Uh, and that is shown for our, the pilot group that they worked with to have no ED visits or hospital visits for six months with a group that was heavily involved and engaged with that. Uh, and the cost savings to the insurance company were in the orders of hundreds of thousands for less than 100 patients. So it, the business benefit is really on the insurer side. Uh, in Mississippi, we've taken that to ensure that we will have benefit on the provider side by requiring insurance companies to pay for that kind of activity. There's actually a, a daily fee we can charge the insurance companies for monitoring those patients at home with those types of devices. I think Mississippi is currently the only state that requires that type of reimbursement. Uh, without changes to those reimbursements, there's not a lot of benefit to the hospitals um, or the providers. Uh, there are some payment benefits to the hospitals with not having patients readmitted in some programs from Medicare, but on the ambulatory clinic side, it's just free work that makes patients healthier, and that's not a sustainable model. Uh, but I think we are moving into an era where providers and nurses and um, care coordinators really want patients to be able to stay home and not have to come into the clinic and see the doctor unless it's absolutely necessary. We used to have lots of appointments for blood pressure checks and sugar checks, and we're trying to get past the point where someone actually has to come into the office and do that. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And um, what we have to do here is to not just look at how, how the healthcare organization will benefit. Because at the end goal, as we see that in the United States alone, we spend over 18% of our GDP on healthcare each year. And if that's the case, then we definitely have to do something to reduce healthcare costs. So yes, IoT may provide that disruptive experience and perhaps patient satisfaction, but if people are not able to afford healthcare, then it doesn't really matter. So what can IoT do to be able to address this cost problem? And what are the related assumptions and exclusions we're making if we are to claim that IoT can indeed help reduce costs? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjog All. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, yes, we can be very good in giving patient satisfaction and other things, 
now I, I am personally also appealing to all people in healthcare to say figure out a way to reduce healthcare. So now with that said, John, what can IoT do? Sure. So there's this concept in, in healthcare, especially in hospitals, where they say no margin, no mission. You know, which means if we're not able to make at least enough money to cover our bills, we can't stay open and deliver care. Uh, unfortunately and shockingly, I think we're getting close to that at the national level. Now, when it is 18% of GDP and climbing, we're going to have to do something to bend the cost curve. And, you know, the uh, Institute of Medicine talks about the, you know, the, the triple aim and bending the cost curve, better health care, better health, lower cost. And I do think that the Internet of Things is going to be an enabler for that. We really do need to figure out how the payers, the providers, the patients, and the technology companies can all work together. So if you look at what really costs money in the United States, our two biggest things are chronic disease and the sequela of chronic disease. So diabetes, um, hypertension, heart failure, heart disease. Uh, it's a pretty short list of things that cost us a lot of money. And then medications and lots and lots of expenditure on medications, and a lot of that medication is spent on paying for the treatment of chronic disease. So if we can get patients who have diabetes to control their glucose, they don't develop uh, heart disease, they don't develop kidney failure, they don't need dialysis, and it becomes about improving the health of our population is really how we're going to bend this cost curve. Uh, so, you know, when we were talking about the partnership we have with uh, our, our patients on the home monitoring, so they're agreeing to have coaching every week. They're agreeing to use these devices that transmit signals and information back to a central uh, software that sorts through them. Our payers are agreeing to, to pay for it, and we're saving hundreds of thousands of dollars on that care while making the patients healthier. Uh, we've extrapolated it to the state, and if we were able to have that kind of benefit for all of our diabetics, uh, in the state, we'd have a $180 million cost savings a year uh, for treatment of diabetes in our state. Now, of course, you're dealing with a pilot group that's engaged and you're not going to have 100% penetration, but, you know, even if we were 50% successful, we're talking about spending, you know, less than, you know, over $100 million less a year in, in care for diabetes, full and heart failure, the other chronic diseases, and now we're talking about you know, hundreds of millions of dollars a year that we're not spending while making patients healthier. And to me, that's how we're going to bend this cost curve. We're going to actually have to disrupt the current model of care where you stay in your home until you're too sick to stand it, and then you go and see a doctor. Uh, and then you may or may not have the support to treat your chronic disease that made you feel so sick that you had to go to the doctor in the first place. We're going to have to meet people where they live and really change from acute care, sick care, to, you know, wellness and, and population health. And I don't think we're going to get there until we have the ability to work with people in their homes and utilize the technology that connects their homes to their care team. So uh, with that said, so you're essentially saying take healthcare to the patient versus patient coming to the healthcare, uh, you know, the place where they can get healthcare. That's the key here. And, and of course, that's a great dream. And to some extent, people, the organizations and people are coming together to make that happen. Now, what are some of the challenges in relation to that? Sure. So in a rural state like Mississippi, one of our challenges is still broadband access. You know, these technologies don't work very well over a 56K modem. 
uh, and we still have lots of areas and actually some of our sickest areas where we still don't have broadband access. So, you know, the first piece of the Internet of Things is the connection, and if you don't have the infrastructure for the connection, then you can't monitor. Uh, the second piece is then adoption from the patients and willingness to allow this to occur in their home and for them to be monitored and watched uh, and helped. And you really have to build that engagement and try to convince them that this new model of care is for them is going to benefit them because it seems so odd and so out of place in our system. But if you go to other healthcare systems, uh, it's the norm. So I spent two months when I was in medical school working in a uh, public clinic in, in Chile, and when they had their diabetics, uh, they followed them, and they came back every two months, and if you missed your appointment, you went to their house. Um, if they couldn't drive, you got in an ambulance and you went to their house. And we delivered care for their chronic disease patients in their home routinely if they had any difficulty getting to the physicians. And that was the first time that I realized that the United States healthcare system probably had it really backwards. Uh, I mean, we drove into the, into the country and we went to a house where they were still using a fire pit for cooking their meals and um, had a low ceiling and, and didn't have electricity, but they still were getting the same exact health care as somebody that was in town with a car and driving to their appointments. And right now in the United States, if you're someplace that doesn't have a car and you don't have electricity and you're out in the country, you know, the doctors aren't coming to you to make sure that your diabetic diabetes is under control. Uh, I think we can get there with technology, but to me that's the bigger disruptive force is just the concept that we're going to care for patients in that manner. So what all you just mentioned, it looks like that, okay, healthcare organizations may be ready, uh, even the, the potential, like the, the patients who are supposed to get the healthcare or receive the healthcare, are, they are ready to embrace it. The public infrastructure is the bottleneck. Is that what you're telling so I think there are, um, there are two things that are the, are the bottleneck. In Mississippi, the public infrastructure is a bottleneck, and I think that's going to continue to be a bottleneck. Um, as we get more and more information flowing, you know, even broadband might get bottleneck in some areas depending on the population, depending on what the choke points are on those. Uh, the other is the payment method because a primary care clinic might want to offer this service to their patients and might think it absolutely is the best thing, but they don't have any reimbursement model for it. They have no way for the insurance company to, to pay them for their time, and thus they can't provide the service. They can't provide the technology because uh, the payment model doesn't support it. Now, everyone can keep pointing figures at each other, but who's supposed to step up? So I, I actually think... Mississippi is a great model, and Medicare and Medicaid are now over 50% of our payer, payer population in the United States, and I think the, the legislature needs to either step up or those payers step up and say, we recognize that this is something that we can do, that we can pay for this, that it benefits our patients, it's the right thing to do, and I would really like... Uh, statewide uh, legislators to do it because then they can actually uh, make sure that the private insurance companies do it. So I think the, the patients and the healthcare providers need to get together and say, we want to deliver this kind of care. We want to 
make sure this is going to happen and we, you know, are going to use our legislative process and regulatory process to say this must be a covered service. You can't not provide it. Uh, and we did it in Mississippi and we're seeing the benefits from it and we're able to uh, roll out in scale and are having much different conversations than we have had in the past about how we're actually going to care for our patients uh, and are looking at how to keep them healthy and keep them out of the hospital because we have a uh, revenue stream that uh, I wouldn't go as far to say as a profit center, but we have a revenue stream that will cover the cost of us providing better care. Now, we can definitely get on the soapbox and say how helpless we feel because there are a number of things which would prevent us from being able to realize that dream. But then given what we have today, and if you were to innovate, leveraging IoT in it as a technology and also as, as an underlying foundation for, for that communication superhighway, if you will, the information and communication superhighway, what can you do today? to see if there is a reasonable impact we can make on healthcare. So, I mean, I, I've been amazed uh, now that we're having these conversations how low the cost to um, delivering these services are. There are a number of vendors out there that are ready for this market to explode and will deliver devices to patients' homes for, you know, $40, $50 a month and provide the the, the sensor aspect and the machine-to-machine um, analytics aspect. And then the providers are able to, to do the, the monitoring. I think we just need to start. Like, I, I think we are kind of in this perpetual waiting for the perfect storm. Uh, we have the classic thing we have in research, which is, you know, seven studies say it works, one study says it doesn't work. There's probably some nuance in that one study that, you know, this is why it didn't work in your area, but, you know, we're, we're held back by the one study that said it didn't work when we have many more that, that show the gains. And I think we just need, as, as a populace, to start requesting it from our providers. Uh, you know, hey, I just found out that my mom has diabetes. Do you have any of these tools? Uh, and there are some national groups that are providing some of these services as well. So I, I think we need to, to, to step forward and start asking for it, um, especially as the informed population, and begin to bring it to our healthcare providers as a request. If, if as patients we are passive and don't request it and just wait for healthcare providers to decide to roll it out, I think we're missing an opportunity to take ownership of our own health. Just take, for example, your organization. So you also are part of the ecosystem where there are certain things you cannot control. What are some of the baby steps that can be taken today and which you may be already in, in, in uh, those may be in the works at your end, which you are trying to leverage so that you can deploy IoT, try to utilize it to whatever degree and make an incremental impact, maybe not significant, but at least an incremental impact in the way healthcare really delivers value, whether helping uh, in terms of better care or reducing cost? Sure. So when we're talking, you know, broadly about the Internet of Things and, and baby steps, we are uh, using our, our mobile, we have a portal that goes to the mobile device for EHR. We're using that and pushing that to have patients enter their own health histories, starting to have them enter their own medications. I think those are very small incremental baby steps. We're 
Um, even pushing to mobile devices, some surveys about, you know, did you understand your prescription? Did you understand your instructions? Did you get your prescriptions filled? Uh, and trying to do some mobile communication, which on the definition of Internet of Things might be a little bit of a, a stretch to include, but we're, we're moving down that path where patients are engaging more and more with their care. Uh, we have taken uh, much more than, than baby steps with um, sending patients home with uh, mobile devices with the applications on them to monitor their own blood pressure, monitor their own glucose, and we're providing much more education about home monitoring and, and when to contact your, your physician uh, as well and opening up channels of communications through, the, through mobile devices, not just picking up the phone and calling somebody. So um, let's take a quick break, listeners. Uh, we'll be right back. And what we should discuss here is what would that team look like which will help enable this IoT, enable, uh, basically IoT delivering the value for healthcare. So would you change anything in the makeup of the team? Would you change anything in the vision? And maybe would you change anything in the application portfolio that you have today? in order for you to say, okay, I'm ready for IoT. Maybe if I can get started here, when the rest of the world changes or, or, or becomes more conducive, I can scale. So are you ready as a healthcare organization and in your department as a healthcare CIO? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, John, the, the question is, are we ready? Uh, and, and what have you done to be ready with IoT as one of the tools in your arsenal, which when leveraged properly will really create value? Yes, we have issues with the public infrastructure or other challenges or limitations. But what are we doing? Are we, are we, are, are we doing what is needed for us to be ready? Yeah, so I think the University of Mississippi Medical Center is doing what needs to be ready. You brought up a great point about the team, and I think one of the interesting things that we've gone down this journey about the team is that you really need a you need a vendor partner, at least in my opinion, that's going to manage the um, IoT devices. So getting devices into a patient's home, getting them back, getting them refurbished and cleaned and, and, and redeployed is... Uh, is a whole factory-type process in and of itself and not something that I think most health systems or care providers want to take on. I mean, I know as a physician, that's, I, I don't want to be worried about whether or not there's a, another iPad or Android device ready to deploy out to the next patient that needs it. I just want to know that I have a patient and that they'll have it arrive at their house. Uh, as well as those partners also tend to have the Internet of Things application layer and the analytics and the flags and the rules engines that let you know 
that that something's out of whack and that you should go uh, talk to that patient. So I think finding and choosing that partner and exploring that and figuring out which one's the right fit for your organization is a really big step that even if you're not quite ready to tackle it, there are a plethora of options out there right now, and they range from um, just sensor technology to full-on suites, and figuring out which rates for you is going to take time and a challenge, and actually I think exploring them will help you figure out what options and deliveries that you option and delivery methods you want to use. So I would very much encourage people to begin looking at those vendors and figuring out who that member of their team is going to be. On the and, side and, is, go ahead. Oh, I see. And then on the inside of the team, you definitely need uh, nurses that can coach uh, via chat, which is a, a skill that either they need to develop or one they just innately have, because inpatient discussions versus discussions over an iPhone are slightly different. You know, everything is in your facial expressions, whereas in person, everything's in your, your, your body posture and, and your language. All right. Uh, so, you go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Yeah, so so what what we what you just mentioned is that you will have the people and on the business side you want to see get ready to adopt the IoT and then in your technology. What about your application portfolio? So, uh, on the application portfolio, you know, we've just now begun to try to to integrate the application we have for um, the home monitoring and the IoT uh, with our EHR as well as the sensor technology inside the hospital with our EHR and are in active discussions with both vendors about what clinical information we have in the EHR that's going to impact their rules engines and our ability to get better information, uh, have people dedicated to trying to integrate that information and put the, the data models together. Uh, so that's a, a member of the team that you're going to have to have to do this well is the internal member that's connecting the dots between your existing infrastructure and your, your vendor's application. So uh, we, we spoke about the team. How about the management? Does management take IoT as just a geeky problem, which you will figure it out as the chief information officer, or they actually see this as an enabler of a better healthcare delivery platform or um, and then are, are they also looking at it as a cost saving? So they are supporting it, championing it, and, and helping uh, work with the other public infrastructure people to make sure they pave the way so that you can deliver the platform, which will benefit every one of us. You know, uh, our management's taking it extremely seriously. Uh, it, it hasn't quite raised to uh, a full, you know, strategic priority, but definitely is a strategic initiative and, and our telehealth is a strategic strategic priority as, as a larger concept. We have over 200 telehealth sites where we have physician-to-physician, physician-to-nurse interaction delivering care in the acute setting. So the, the home monitoring is a new area for us, but it's definitely an initiative where we have uh, support. We have support with our government relations group working with the legislature to make sure that the legislature uh, is informed and able to support measures that support moving to uh, care in the home. Uh, we have groups that are out there uh, working on grants and funding sources to improve the public infrastructure, get broadband to more areas so that we can deliver this service 
to those as well. We've paid for some of those lines to be run um, out to some of our rural sites so that we uh, have provided it to a whole community because we're providing it to our hospital. Uh, and we are very much not viewing this as a geeky thing that we're not sure what we're going to do with. They're very much viewing getting patients cared for in their home and their chronic diseases under control as an imperative for the state. Uh, that being said, I don't think most, most of our management would refer to anything close to the Internet of Things. Uh, they'd use terms like home monitoring, telehealth, uh, remote sensors maybe would be the closest that they got. Uh, but as the delivery method concept, they're very much on board. Uh, and they are trusting us to be a little bit geeky and figure out the nuts and bolts to get it done. Now, what about the tools and technologies? We know any um, evolving technology paradigm has its own uh, interesting challenges where you may try something, but then you figure out that it's not fully cooked yet. So what would you, uh, what's your take on the current state of how not just the probes and sensors, because those are just, you know, uh, devices, but this whole, whole technology or, or um, a technology tool set, if you will, that's been made available for healthcare in specific. Yeah, and do you, and I think. Go ahead. Sorry, I, I think that the the, the machine can, the machine to communication piece is the part that we are uh, really trying to figure out the most. We have patients that take the virtual coaching piece and engage with it to the point that they think it's the best healthcare experience they've ever had, and other patients that hate talking on their iPad or Android device that's been deployed to them. And the question of how do you motivate a patient to better behavior after you've gotten sensor, tech, sensor messages that said their behavior is not supporting their health, I think is the biggest challenge. And we are uh, struggling through that. And I'm not even sure we have best practices down yet. Uh, and I suspect that one of the things that's going to come into play there will be some of the uh, additional data sets that could be brought into the, the sensor data for the algorithms, uh, more of the socioeconomic behavioral determinants of, of care. And when you look at the overall, um, you know, this, this whole space, the way it is supposed to evolve in order for it to really start becoming what you would like it to be, is there a holy grail version that you have in mind which you're benchmarking it against? You know, I don't know that I have a, a, a holy grail version in, in healthcare. Uh, again, you know, I think there are holy grail type versions of using the Internet of Things. And I think OnStar is a, a great example. The concept that an ambulance could be dispatched to a car crash before the driver even recovered from the airbag getting deployed is amazing. And, and growing up in rural Pennsylvania, there was more than one car wreck where it was hours until the, the wreck was even discovered. Uh, so to think that it could be discovered in sub-second time and help to be, it helped dispatched uh, immediately um, is huge. And from a trauma healthcare setting, I think that, you know, tangentially applies to improving trauma care. If every car was equipped with a sensor that dispatched emergency services if they needed it, uh, trauma care would probably improve. 
Uh, and I think there is that kind of holy grail outside. We, we're still not quite there in the population chronic disease management, but, you know, if I knew that you were going to have a heart attack in the next six hours and I could send an ambulance to your house and you could be brought into the hospital and we could prevent that heart attack before it happened, that's probably a holy grail type scenario. Uh, I don't think we're five years away from that. I, I think we're probably more than 10, but uh, I don't think that 20 years from now that that's really an unreasonable type thing for us to be thinking about achieving. Privacy, security, governance, compliance, you know, healthcare and these items go hand in hand. And when you look at any technology which expands the, the, the data flow outside of an organization's boundary or even within it, it could raise concern and it has caused problems in the past. How are you battling that? So security is definitely a... A concern. Security and, and privacy are, are going to be on balance with, uh, you know, patients' health just the way that security and freedom are in, in balance right now on a national level. So we've been battling that by being ultra-conservative. So the devices that our patients get are, are locked down, single-use devices, um, encrypted um, sending encrypted packets and, and, and information, um, but it means that we have to send a dedicated device to the patient's house. It doesn't. It means that they can't just, you know, use their iPhone or use the blood pressure cuff they got from the pharmacy. That they have to use this packet of stuff that we send them. Um, that increases the cost and limits the uh, availability and makes us be more selective on who we're we're dealing with and who we're working with. So it is secure, the privacy is protected, but it is restricting the ability to deploy the technology. And I think we're going to have to work through that balance as more applications become available, more sensors can be connected to mobile devices, and things become cheaper and cheaper, and people start monitoring their stuff at home and connecting it to their phone and then wanting to, to share it with their care team. And that's going to cause privacy and security concerns, and those apps are going to be uh, more or less secure. And, you know, depending on what the terms and conditions were when you download the application, you may have volunteered to share all of your information that you didn't really mean to. So let's take a quick break. Let's just, we'll be right back. And while we're talking about this privacy and security, uh, and, and of course we have to adhere to them, there will always be this sense of paranoia, or it is a fear turning into paranoia or just a concern, but you are essentially trying to hedge your bets. Are you allowed to hedge your bets by selectively implementing things related to IoT, which will allow you to eat the cake and have it too? What would that look like, and in what degree, with what degree of caution we should move forward so that we are not losing our shirt in, in favor of doing technology innovation and improving healthcare. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back.
Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjoke All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjoke All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, whether it's a concern uh, or, or a paranoia, in, in any of those cases, it has the potential to undermine what you could otherwise achieve leveraging IoT for healthcare. What what is being done to allay those fears and concerns so that we are not getting paralyzed? Yeah, so unfortunately, I don't think there's been a lot done to uh, allay those fear, fears. And when headlines are coming out that you know, sixty seventy percent of patients have had a, a breach after the Anthem breach uh, last year, the, the fears are really there, and um, the, the the government. Um, hack where they were able to to get employment information from the government servers increase the level of paranoia. People have a lot of trust in our financial system. We we use lots of credit cards. We use tap and go technology. Uh, most people don't just carry cash so that their purchases can't be tracked. Um, that information is resold and tracked. And we've had major breaches with. Target and then Home Depot, but people still use their credit cards, and there's not the same sense of concern that people have when they're talking about their health data. People are much more concerned about their blood pressure tracing and their glucose tracing than they are about swiping their credit card. I haven't um, completely understood all of that. Uh, I think there's a lot of history with regard to bias against people with health conditions in the past in the U.S. There are still definite bias in place. Um, on the healthcare provider side, you know, I think I've had a lot of those bias trained out of me and then, you know, had lots of training that those aren't ethical and we're very aware of them. But outside, there's very much concern uh, about what it's going to mean. I actually just read an article advising people to not get genetic testing because there's no legislation that says life insurance can't use that genetic testing against them. Uh, and pointing out that the the rules about uh, not uh, the rules against delivering coverage based upon a predetermined condition only apply to health insurance. They don't apply to disability insurance. They don't apply to life insurance. So that if you get a genetic test done that shows you're genetically predisposed to cancer, yeah, your health insurance company can't use that against you, but your disability insurance company or your life insurance company could. So I think there's a lot of concern that people have that's valid, that there's just a big unknown. And the unknown is the scariest. Well, I don't, what's going to happen if my medical record actually breaches? What's going to happen if I have my blood pressure tracing hacked? What, do, what does that mean? And what is somebody going to do with that? Uh, and there's been some scary things with people proving that they can um, hack into IV pumps. Now, they haven't really done anything. We're not sure what people are going to do if they hack into an IV pump. But 
there definitely is concern that they could do something and that something is ill-defined and we're very scared of what that ill-defined piece is. And I don't think we're doing enough to educate patients about what the real risks are versus the real benefits and pushing to them that in many aspects, at least in my medical opinion, the health benefits from this type of technology greatly outweigh the potential privacy issues that could come from it. Uh, If we can help you control your diabetes and you don't need to be on dialysis for 10 years, that seems very worth the potential of breaching your glucometer information to me. Now, if you were to talk about the the government, uh, the way the government is coming to to support what you're trying to do internally at an organizational level, what is happening at that level? What's happening at the macro level? Because we did say that there are problems. Oh, definitely. I, so, from a state level, I feel like Mississippi has a ton of support. Mississippi is fully aware that from a chronic disease population health level, we are last or next and last in in the nation, and that we need to be extremely proactive about treating our our patients with diabetes, treating our patients with heart failure, improving our detection of cancer, and getting out to our rural population. The state legislature has been extremely supportive. Um, I would say that the federal legislature has not been as supportive. Uh, And, of course, at the federal level, you're ranging across healthy states and unhealthy states, and the motivations are different. The amount that private insurance and private companies are helping the infrastructure is different. But we haven't seen a lot of movement on the, the national level, at the um, ONC level, the legislative level, the CMS level, of really making uh, delivery of care at home using the Internet of Things something that is a mantra that they're going to push forward to bend that cost curve. Um, I think they're looking at improving acute care uh, as better as the cost curve. They're setting up uh, ACOs, accountable care organizations, to, to try to encourage uh, systems to make these changes, but they're not dictating it or directing it as a way that we need to head. And I think we have enough information now that there really should be more of a directionality towards this, that we, we know that we can provide better care meeting patients where they live. We know that intuitively, but now we have the technology and some research to support it. And I think that's the way we're going to bend the cost curve. But the legislature, the government level, has not necessarily come to that same conclusion, and they're definitely not driving it hard to get people to do it. And um, when you're looking at the culture within the organization, which is supposed to fundamentally shift when you're going to try to do things outside of the organizational boundaries, and you would like them to acquire skills which are truly not natural to them because many healthcare workers are are tenured. What are you doing to to take care of that part? Yeah, so I I tell lots of people when they ask me why I keep working in Mississippi because there's a... I think there's a bit of a a bias against Mississippi. But the reason I keep working in Mississippi that I've never been with a medical group that's more on mission, is more committed to their patients and to the health of their patients than the group I'm working with now. Uh, We have a really easy time saying, this looks like a good direction and they're the skills that you're going to need to learn. Uh, You know, we implemented our electronic health record in one day across 1,500 providers and 8,000 nurses and 
uh, had this huge Big Bang go live and had great results. Uh, so they're very willing to change to benefit the patient. So we've had a lot of luck using telehealth, um, having them change their, their, their care models to uh, somebody else doing, you know, remote blood pressure, someone else doing assessments and providing oversight and trying to get that model into the home. Uh, I think we're ahead of the curve from a lot of places. We're also uh, very overwhelmed with patients. We have uh, more ambulatory patients than we can care for with the number of providers we have. Uh, we have more patients coming into the hospital than uh, we have room to, to take care of. So we're, we're very willing to get their care in their home and keep them out of our acute settings because uh, we have enough work and volume in the acute setting, so we don't have any perverse motivation to keep them coming to us. And uh, one final message from you for any uh, fellow health uh, information officers who are uh, listening to this or may get their hands to this podcast. What What's your message to them if they are going to go on this IoT journey and we know things are not perfect yet, but they still, what, what, what can they do new and different or more to get the most value out of IoT? Uh, so I would say that they should start identifying their their partners. They should definitely jump in and figure out the direction they want to head and then pick their low-hanging fruit because there's going to be low-hanging fruit, whether it's their diabetic population or their heart failure population or their medically complex population. It's going to be really easy to identify a cohort of patients that would benefit from extra attention, especially attention in their, in their home, um, and just, you know, get started with a reasonable size pilot and uh, learn the lessons that you're going to have to learn as an organization to, to build and be ready for this expansion. Because I think the uh, external drive to expand this type of care is going to come in the next uh, two to five years. Thank you so much, John, for sharing your insights on how IoT can improve healthcare. I appreciate the opportunity to be on the show, Sanjo. Thank you so much again. And listeners, I uh, would like to invite you to join us on Twitter and uh, follow and contribute towards our discussion on LinkedIn and subscribe to our newsletters and podcasts. We have a brand new website. Uh, enjoy looking at it. Give us feedback so that we can keep growing and improving. Thank you so much again for listening. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening. <laughs>